Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ruthie, you're given the opportunity right now to travel through time. Yes. This is the would you rather. You can go through time and see DMB, Dave Matthews Band. Yeah. Shouldn't have to say that. No. And see them live at Red Rocks. Okay. And you got to think and you got to remember, this is before the crowd knew about Crash. They didn't even know what was coming. They didn't (laughs) get it. That wasn't out yet. Crash Into Me was not an option for them. Okay. Or world peace. <laughs> hmm, let's see. I always wanted to go to it's Red so Rocks. It's so wild. <laughs> I've always wanted hmm. to see a show there. <laughs> you, know, or, you know, let's just go with two Dave concerts. You can go to Red Rocks, which is going to be a, a rocking good time. Okay. Or you can see David and Tim at Luther College. I would like to note that was more than likely a theater with very limited dance space. <laughs> <laughs> Where is Luther College? That's a great question. And the yeah. only people who know it are Dave, Tim, and the students who were at that concert. Because <laughs> it might not be a real college. <laughs> ah, I hope this upsets a listener I who so graduated too. cum laude from <laughs> Luther College. And this really <laughs> pisses them off that we... With a master's degree in Dave Where Matthews is Luther Band. Co- who also, that's the album? You're bragging about a school? No one yeah. even knows if it's real? In college, I remember we were at a party and we looked, we were at somebody's front yard. We looked into the living room of the house and there was a Dave Matthews Band poster. And my one of my girlfriends and I looked at each other and we were like, oh, we're going to try to sleep with this guy. Yes, I was there and I said, I'm going to try to sleep with him. <laughs> I I yelled out, not if I get there first. (laughs) I still blast Dave. It's not my wife's favorite. It's a point of contention. We're not doing great. (laughs) (laughs) You know, on the nights that I try to woo her and get her in the mood, I'll put on some some Dave. (laughs) Yeah. I'll I'll put on some Crash Into Me, pour a little Pinot Noir, maybe from First Leaf. Maybe. You don't know. Uh You don't know. Light some candles. By the way, go back and listen to those lyrics. Do you feel okay about that? Don't do it now. Don't even replay them in your head. Let this episode end. Go back. 
Look up the lyrics and just ask yourself, am I okay with this? These guys were adults at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, folks, I know that with all this hoopla, you're like, these two are just going to riff for days, but we're not. We've got a a very special show, and uh, I'm glad we were talking about Dave Matthews Band, talking about music, because that's what today's episode is. It's a journey through music. Uh, today's episode is with an amazing musician who has accomplished a lot, but also has lived quite a lot. He has. And by that, I mean not only succeeded in music, but came from a background of being raised in a cult. And we found it very interesting, very informative, and inspiring. Yeah, he released a memoir earlier this year called Hollywood Park and an album by the same name with his band Airborne Toxic Event. Folks, without further ado, here's our discussion with the great Mikel Jolet. Thanks for being on the uh, the show here. And for all our listeners, if at any point we were like, okay, we're having a musician on, he made sure to paint the picture behind him very... <laughs> there are four total instruments that I see yep. in this picture. <laughs> I think you have the backdrop of what I wish my life was. Like, I would... Like, <laughs> My backdrop is it's a, like a there's a cardboard box. <laughs> it's like, it's like got some wires, wires coming out of it. The edge of a corkboard. <laughs> there's four plugs that are not plugged in. Here's and, my empty vision board. And ladies and gentlemen, um, if you weren't convinced yet about the c- technology, there is a blank CD. There is a blank oh, it's a stack CD. of CDs. Oh, is it a stack of CDs? We've been recording for months, and I've never noticed the stack of CDs. <laughs> Oh my perfectly God. Some of them are DVDs. It's a mix. You know, I work in a lot of different mediums. Uh, just like um, lucky it's not a cassette tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But thank thank you for being on the uh, the show here. We had done some some research hearing about the the book and 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 listening to some of the music. And I gotta say, uh, your album, the latest one, Hollywood Park, um, oh my God. I I I just wanna know to to kick it off. When you're diving into something like, does that start out with this bigger idea or is it like, yeah, I just, I started putting a song together, which led to a song, which led to a song, which led to a theme, which led to, you know, do you know all that in advance when you, when you start out with some of that? Or is that something you find as you, as you just try to write one song? I think I'd written about four songs and then I realized, oh, this is a concept record. Cause I, I was yeah. in the book. I was, my head was so much in the book that I was, I was sort of inhabiting the the time periods and the the characters that, that were in the book uh, so much in my day-to-day life anyway that I that you know since I was 15 I, I tend to just kind of pick up a guitar and write about whatever my emotional world is and then but I definitely knew by the end like okay this is a concept record we want it to hang together like a concept record we want it to be the soundtrack to the book we like records that we like albums so we just thought you know what the world needs right now is I, 60 minutes on my father's death <laughs> it does, though. It I th- definitely I, I, does. I know you're saying that jokingly, but I it, I truly believe that it does because those, while singles can be fine and good and they are what they are, I, coming from the background of as a stand-up comic where, you know, you put a show together that is just a bunch of jokes, but yet still when you perform it, it is meant to be this cohesive event. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. why I favor that in music. Yeah. As well, because, you know, like I said, you hear a single, it's a single, and it's good, and it's one song or whatever, but 
you know, having grown up where I started buying CDs in the 90s, and as you guys know, I <laughs> yeah. obviously held on to them. <laughs> Downloading MP3s from Napster and putting them on CD compilations for and your then, girlfriend. Um, and then giving them to a girl I wanted to date. Yeah. Did um, you print out the cover, too, on, with the little, and then cut no. it out? Cut it out no, like, I, I was always impressed by those dudes. Those dudes that went the extra mile. That's the next that's level. Who, that's the yeah, next level. That's yeah. pathetic. I would see that and I'd be like, ah, oh, fuck, I gotta draw something. I can't draw for shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think uh, maybe it comes from growing up in the 90s or maybe it comes with age. I'm now, I'm now 40, but if someone's like, I have 60 minutes on my dad's death, I'm like, I, I'm all in. I'm all in on, on a hard theme and you tell me what yeah. it is and let's ride it. I'm, I well, love I like it. that. Like, I like that. Uh, Titus Andronicus had this record called The Monitor, which is about uh, the Civil War, but is also kind of about self-loathing and is also kind of about, you know, self-loathing as national loathing. And, and it's 60 minutes on the Civil War. And, yeah. and also kind of about being in a touring punk band in New Jersey. It's kind of about that yeah. also. And it's weird how much he finds, you know, connection. But it's great. It's yeah. great because there is actually something about that. The, the idea of losing, the idea of, you know, embracing a lost cause, um, even if that lost cause is the one that ultimately wins, which is kind of the perspective of the record. Like, it's so, so anyway, so, you know, or the final cut by by Pink Floyd or something where it's like, let's just dive so deeply into what our inner monologue is, what we're actually thinking about, how our lives appear to us in our own minds. Yeah. And, you know, and just let the listener in on, on that. That, that's, that was where I was coming from uh, with it. Um, I'm not sure it was a good career move. Or oh, not but, yet, I, I, but it was, I just, that's what I wanted to do. With what you just said, you'd rather... You'd rather make something that you want to make than just kind of fit into kind of what people are saying to make for the sake of a career. I, I think it's more admirable and more artistic to, well, to just make what you about, make. I mean, I wrote this whole memoir and it was it started with the, the triggering event was my father dying and my dad was, you know, my best friend. And, and so it was something about it like I'm not making a cheesy record about my dad. That was yeah. the thought. It yeah. was just like I, I'm going down with the, the the music that I love and the ideas that I love that make great music, and I'm gonna and that's that's it's gonna be something I love and I'll love it till the day I die. And so it has to be something I think is great. And who cares what anybody else thinks? Like that that was the feeling. And the band was on board. Good for them. I mean, they were they were very supportive of that. Yeah. And when when you kind of start something like that, when you start to go down that road, knowing that's going to be about this bigger topic, losing. Losing your father. I, I just lost my father not that, oh, that long ago, back in, in June. Ju in June? In June, in late June. Oh, my June. God. So, like, a couple months ago. Yeah. What do, you, do you mind if I ask what, he, what happened? Like, what did he die of? No, not at all. He was he had really high blood pressure. He had, like, a high pulse. He was, mm -hmm. um, I think because of COVID, he might have been a little concerned about going and getting tested or leaving the house. But also, my mm -hmm. dad doesn't ever leave the house. So yeah. <laughs> he went to go give blood. That was something he just did all the time. And so he went to give blood. And when he went, they were like, before he gave it, they were like, you know, your pulse is really high. And he was like, well, I walked further than I usually walk where I parked. So maybe that's it. And they were like, yeah, but you've also been sitting over there for 10 minutes. So it seems yeah. like that should have gone down. So I think they had been like, you need to go see a doctor. And so he went to a doctor. And I guess he still had the high blood pressure, high pulse. And uh, he had to get tested for COVID, came back negative. And so then he was waiting for uh, an appointment with a cardiologist. And uh, I think just that day, whatever the issue was, I mean, it led to a, a massive heart attack, but whatever, yeah. whatever it was, it was, it happened that day. And it, uh, and maybe this speaks to the album in some way in, in my own periphery, my own perception of, of that event. It's caused me to learn a new person 
through my dad no longer being here and the person that I knew because it's only after you lose them that other people kind of speak freely about their perception of who that person was and mm-hmm. it might not match your perception because in so many ways we're all different people two different people of course um, yeah. and i wonder if if when you go into this album when you start to write this album knowing that that this is where it's coming from and what it's about did you kind of find that that similar thing like going oh i guess i never looked at something from this perspective well first of all just let me say i'm sorry that's a devastating loss and that's so fresh it's two two months in i don't think i left the house for nine months after my dad dad died so i like that's that's a tough one man i'm sorry i i appreciate that and uh being in quarantine there's a strange element to it of, yeah, of yeah. not wanting to leave the house but then also yeah. being told i'm not allowed to anyways right so <laughs> it's like sort of <laughs> Don't leave the house. It's like, you got it. I can easily just sit in this chair <laughs> and stare at the wall yeah. and uh, food delivered. Fine. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, you, you, got it. you got it. It's suddenly yeah. a blessing. Like, well, I know. Don't see like, people. Don't we? I was, good. didn't really feel like it anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, to, to speak to your question, my dad was always very open about his, his life and his struggles. That he, you know, he, he was one of these guys that you could always. Um, He'd seen everything, you know. He he'd only had an eighth grade education. He'd been done time in prison. He'd been a heroin addict, uh, but he got clean, notoriously. Like he he very few people do. Um, and he got out of Chino, I think, when he was twenty seven. That was seven years before I was born, and he was clean from that moment on in his life. Never once went back to crime or drugs or anything. So, to me, it was always just this folklore um, about his early life, um, which I had depending on my age had a different kind of attitude about. But everyone loved him because he was just, he'd seen everything and you couldn't phase him. Right. And so everyone had good things to say about him. I remember, I remember being at the, uh, we had a funeral and so many people got up and spoke about just how uh, my father had helped them. The kids from the street randomly were like, yeah, yeah, I used to go over to the house all the time and he helped me with my homework. He felt like a second dad to me. Uh, like so many people had jokes about him and little moments that they shared. Um, so, I, and I'd already sort of understood him that way too. So I, I, I felt like it was, if anything, it would, it confirmed a lot to me who he was. But the thing that happened to me was that when he died, it just felt like uh, the world didn't make sense to me. I mean, I knew it'd be sad. I knew like grief is just sad. Everyone knows that, but it was confusing. It was like the sky had a tear. Like you woke up in the morning and instead of there being a blue sky, there was this big tear in it and that tear was purple and gold and then there was an image of... And it was just like the rules that I had understood about what almost like the laws of the world had suddenly changed and I didn't understand a world where he didn't exist. Yeah. I just... It didn't make sense to me that... like, And it was confusing. Like, how can he not exist? And it was so devastatingly sad. And a lot of why I wrote the book and made the record was I was trying to understand that. And what I sort of came to... The conclusion I came to was that this this man, this kind of very warm and funny and sort of angry at times guy was on my side my whole life. And he was yeah. the only person I ever trusted for most of my life. And so when he died, it was it hit me so hard because I'd never trusted another person. There's uh, in describing the situation to some people, I've I've told them it. There's there's an element of it feels like a dream that you can't really wake up from, mm-hmm. uh, that you think you can, and then I, I I've even told people it's like there's still an element of where I think that, that I I can jerk myself awake and I'll just be like, oh my god, I just had the most realistic, intense dream, and it's you know I'm back in. June or whatever, and and j- j- I related to it heavily, just with the 
you wake up and the world's not the same. There's yeah. times I've yeah. I've smoked a little too much pot and uh, you start to have that yeah, anxiety idea. attack and you're like, ah, it'll be gone in 20 minutes and I'll be fine. And I've, I've told people, I was like, this is kind of like you're just stuck in that 20 minutes mm-hmm. and the anxiety is high, but you're, there isn't a math equation to talk yourself down to right. go, all right, it's going to be okay. You're just kind of stuck in it and you... You eventually just come to to terms with it. You just go, "Oh, this is the new. This is the new reality. This is the new normal." You're just kind of stuck in this space. Well, my my sort of personal feeling on these things is like, just I remember thinking like, "Well, just go be depressed." Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think I, I had really yeah. taken a break. I was on the road for eight years, and before that, had been doing journalism and writing fiction, and and just, I don't think I'd had a break from just the go 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 for like. Years, like a decade, yeah. and I remember it was the first time. I was just like, just, just, just go. And luckily, I'd already met my wife, and she was super supportive. And it's just like, just go be sad, just go be sad, just go give up for a while. You never, you know. And and it was like I had to go through that severe sadness to be able to kind of wipe my eyes, like nine months later, and be like, okay, what are we going to do about any of this? Yeah. You know? like, and it's almost like you have to become a different person because the person that you were can't handle the news. Yeah. That's how yeah. it was. Can I ask if it's, you know, not too intrusive? Like, when you went to go be sad, like, what did you do? Oh, I played a lot of Fallout. Yeah. <laughs> I think giving yourself that permission is so powerful. Oh, yeah. and like to Fallout be like, 4. Yeah. I mean, I was rocking that. I had, a, yeah. I had settlements. I had farming going. I had, I did, I, I was like all about Fallout 4, Call yeah. of Duty. I had farming going. <laughs> <laughs> it was the whole thing. Yeah. I don't know if you know that game, but I got into it. I do a little bit. Yeah. 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 It takes whole, that I, commitment. The, oh, it takes oh, yeah. that time. I had 20 mm-hmm. settlements, man. I was not messing around. <laughs> I, yeah. I could visit. I could. No, I, I yeah, I wrote songs and yeah. um, I cried a lot and yeah. I hung out with my wife and we watched, you know, t- I, I let go. Like it wasn't, yeah. it, it's a weird thing because it's like if you're a real sort of a lot of us in, me, in media, whether we're artists or journalists or whatever, just we're so driven. Well, how are you using the pandemic? Well, how are you using this moment? Well, how right. does this really, and it's like, dude, actually just nothing, just nothing, like nothing yeah. like productive yeah. really came of it. I was just sad and I cried every day and yeah. I put on weight and I ate too much and I sat around with my wife watching Netflix and played a lot of Fallout because I was just broken. Yeah, right. and I kind of just had to let myself just be broken. It was that devastating, and it was. I always thought in my life too, because as being like, all right, well, so if if my life's going to be eighty years, the first because my dad died when I was forty, like uh, first half is when I um, had a dad, and then I think almost immediately knew like, all right, the second half is going to be when I am a dad because I didn't yeah. have kids yet, and I, and it was almost like I need this relationship in my life. I need to have something, and so I immediately knew, oh, I need to have kids soon. So interesting, two things there. One, your depression was uh, eating unhealthy food, watching Netflix, and playing Fallout, and that is some people's greatest day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Some people will be like, depression? What is this dude talking about? That was great. Wait, what? Sophomore year at Columbia. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. 
Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Like, as you got older, and obviously you, you developed a much closer relationship with your dad, and then when you were writing this book, too, did you start to see him in different ways and, like, have almost a yeah. forgiveness for him? Oh, absolutely. Because as you were saying, like, all of a sudden you have this completely different image of who your dad actually was and is. Well, so my dad was always this faraway figure, um, as you know. So if you read the book that we were born in a cult and raised in an orphanage, we had escaped, and um, we didn't know what, what parents were. We didn't we didn't know what a father was or a mother was. So we weren't allowed to use those words, right? Um, in the orphanage, and so when we left, you know, this woman showed up and was like, "It's not safe. We have to go." And it was this woman with a shaved head, and that was my mom. And she was like, "I'm something called a mom," and we were both like, "Far out." Like, what's that? We don't know what a mom is. You know, we didn't have birthdays. We didn't have Christmases. We didn't have, I mean, it was it was bleak. How old are you when this happens, when, when she does sort of the breakout thing? I was thing? nearly four. My brother okay. was nearly seven. What's funny, is too, is that a lot of a lot of the people who were in Synanon, which was the cult, are, are these really kind of far-left people. I don't know, far-left, but they're progressives generally. They see themselves very anti-Trump, whatever. And so when all this childhood separation stuff came out in this last year, it's it some really awkward conversations. Yeah, I when bet. they're like, yeah, I can't believe Trump would separate kids from their parents. And you're just like, hi. Well, yeah. like, hi. Yes, yeah, that was my yeah. that was my life. And do you stay in touch with people from Synanon? Yeah. No, I have a few friends from Synanon. Uh, we left when I was so young. You know, the yeah. early part of the book, I wrote a lot from the perspective of we... Um, because it was really, my brother and I sort of pieced it together because he was much older. So some of the early scenes he helped a lot. A lot yeah. with. But so my dad, so we go to Oregon and we're living on the run from the cult. And my mom, as it turns out, is very depressed and oh not able to really take care of us. Uh, she struggles with mental illness. And, you know, looking back now as an adult, I can be like, God, these poor kids. At the time, we didn't know that. We just knew, okay, we'll just have a single mom and we're on food stamps and what, this is the world. And our dad, so we're told by her our dad is like this ne'er-do-well guy that left us and he just walked out on his family or whatever. But we know all these stories about my dad and he was like John Wayne meets Steve McQueen meets a pirate meets yeah. Clint Eastwood. Oh, he sounds yes. like such a badass. Dude, oh my God. We knew all the stories. He escaped from a Mexican prison. He ran drugs for five years. He carried a sawed-off shotgun. He would do all kinds of stuff. He raced motorcycles. It's a movie. It's a movie. Was he, was he in the cult too and then got yeah. out? Or? He was okay. in, he got out, he went there it was a, It started as a drug rehabilitation facility. So when he got out of Chino, he went there to get uh, clean off heroin. He had a heroin addiction. And, and it worked. I mean, he got clean, and then he helped a lot of people get clean. I and mean, he saved a lot of people's lives uh, himself. And he, he always says, like, he would have died if it weren't for that place. So it was actually pretty good at that one thing. Yeah. It was good at getting addicts, hardened addicts, to be clean. And it did that for him. So anyway, so that so we worshipped him from afar with these two latchkey poor kids of a single mother in Salem, Oregon, hiding out. And here's our dad, who's like fucking Clint Eastwood. And he shows up on my sixth birthday. Yeah. And it's my first real memory of my dad that isn't some vague thing. But he's it's my sixth birthday. And he, he lived in L.A. and he came up to Salem, Oregon just for the day. And I remember walking down the street with him, you know, and it was just like having my own Zeus 
Because there was a lot of single single moms on the street. That's just the nature of the white trash part of <laughs> Salem that we lived. <laughs> like we were, we were between the graveyard and the mental hospital. That's where we lived. You know, that's yeah, that's literally right. where we lived. And it was just like I remember he came in, and we just wanted to copy the way he walked. I remember trying to get his walk down. He had these cowboy boots, and I would try. He had, oh, he has a little dip in the walk. Okay, and also yeah. I, you know we were we had a single mother, two boys with a single mother, particularly like the kind of single mother we had. Which was we, you know, we didn't know what men were. We knew the world of women. Right. We knew, yeah. We knew her sort of desire to try to date someone. We knew when she went out on dates. We'd hear her talking to her friends about it, and that's a lot. Oh, so for relatable. a kid to hear, <laughs> it's a lot. It's too much for a kid to hear. They shouldn't be hearing that. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of empathy and affection for single moms. Like whenever someone's a single mom, I'm like, oh man, I know that world. I know it so well. And I, yeah. it, but I will say this, like, the, you know, sometimes I think some single mothers handle it really well and some, they bring their children into their emotional world of their, you know, and it's not a good idea. And that's what our, our mom did into their sort of the, the ideas of the, around their dating life. And it's just too much. It was just too much. Yeah. So our da- here was our dad and um, we worshiped him. And then we go to visit him in L.A. And first of all, he lives in L.A., which is glamorous. Second of right. all, he takes us to the beach. He takes yeah. us to Disneyland. takes us to Berry Farm. My mom, Bonnie, is my stepmom, but we don't use the S word in my family. It's my mom, Bonnie. Yeah. yeah. You know, she's there and she's real loving. And there's just burritos and food. And like everyone <laughs> yeah. can just hang out. And we're doing dances to Michael Jackson. And we're going body surfing. And then we're going to go check out the carburetor on the fucking yeah. motorcycle. <laughs> like we're, we're just like, right. he, wasn't a, he wasn't a jerk at all. But now like those experiences <laughs> of like uh, the stories you're told. And then the actual thing that you're living. So it's like, yeah, yeah your dad, right. your uh, your mom's story about your dad, and then also right. like, you know, what your dad would say about your mom. And then you right. are with them, and you're like, it's not like that at all. Totally. <laughs> right, yeah. What? And I and I think it, I don't think it's particular to dads or moms. I yeah. think there's plenty of dads that are toxic and bad, and the mo- and they're talking shit on the mom, and the mom is great too. That's just how it played out for me. Right. So then I went to live with them, and um, I was kind of a ne'er do well for a while, and you know, I thought I think I thought like, well, I'm a Jolie. The Jolais mm-hmm. were we're pirates, we're criminals. This is who we are. <laughs> right. And I thought of myself, I was a little skater shithead. I was just a shithead. You know, like some yeah. kids are like, they're trying. We weren't trying. We yeah. were yeah. bad. We were trying to be bad. Oh, dude, we were the worst. We had yeah. our little skate crew, DCP, with our stupid little signs and <laughs> We were just dumb. And we would ditch school and get high behind the church and, you know, everything. And I think somewhere in that part of my life, I thought, like, well, this is who I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to, I'm a Joe Lay. My brother went that way. He was very much a rebel. Mm-hmm. My dad was a rebel. And then my, a couple of things happened. My brother went to drug rehab when he was like 15 because he was already drinking too much and using drugs, already using Coke and PCP and acid and stuff. And I got in a motorcycle accident, pretty bad one, and I spent a week in the hospital with some broken ribs and a ruptured spleen and a concussion and all this stuff. And oh, shit. I, I just didn't want to go down that road anymore. And my dad, weirdly, was the one who was like, I don't want you to go down that road. He took me to Hollywood Park because yeah. he loved the races and take me to the racetrack. And, you know, we grew up on the racetrack because he loved he was, a, he was a handicapper. So, you know, I learned fractions at a racetrack. I learned that's where I learned what a fraction was because it was betting odds and stuff. <laughs> right. A lot of time he would take me and we just went. But sometimes he would have a talk. And that's where he took me, you know, yeah. kind of looking out over the races, looking at his racing form. And I'd be sitting right. there next to him. And in, in between discussing who we had for the pick six, he's like, well, I got Surfing Angel in the third. And I got... So listen, I want to talk to you about your brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Just right into it. Yeah. You know, and, and he wasn't big on those kinds of talks because he didn't really, you know, a lot of the time we just made jokes and had food and whatnot. But, you know, he's like, I, I, listen, man, I, I, I don't want you to turn out like me. 
I don't want you to go to jail. I don't want you to be a drug addict. I don't, these things are terrible. Cause he kind of, I had confessed to my, to my mom, Bonnie, about all the stuff I was doing about the drugs and ditching school and all that stuff. And he's like, this, this, you know, we tell funny stories and we have funny stories to tell about it, but it's terrible. It's not a, it's not a good life. It's sad yeah. and it's dark. And it's, I, I, you know, I wish I'd been a scientist. And I was like, my dad, like, this was Steve McQueen. This was yeah. Clint Eastwood, you know, and he's right. telling me, you know, he's like, you're a smart kid. You could go be a scientist. You could go be a musician. He always wanted to be a musician. You could go do something great with your life. And, you know, I always thought you would do something like that and go do something better than what I did. And I was like fighting tears because we're at the racetrack. You can't cry at the racetrack. And I'm, you know, fighting tears. <laughs> they throw tears. you out. They throw you <laughs> yes. out if you cry. Yeah. But he's showing tears emotion. Of, <laughs> tears of joy of if you win. Yeah, if you win, you tears of joy. That's okay. Yeah, maybe that. Yeah. Maybe that's okay. <laughs> right. You know, and I'm fighting tears, like, oh, okay, okay, you want me to do better? I'll do better. Right. And then he um, he, uh, he quit his job, and he started a home business so he could be home. So uh, I, he would be there when I got home. Yeah. And we would work on little projects around the house, and he'd talk to me about school, and he really, really wanted me to succeed. And it's not lost to me that my mom, Bonnie, you know, worked to support us during that time also. And, like, part of it, you know, big part of it was her commitment to that as well. You know, it's I, it's so interesting to me that, Shifting your kid's perspective can sometimes be as simple as just opening up and telling them the truth about yeah. wh how you see them or right. like how much they mean to you. Yeah. It, it seems like you already knew your, your dad loved you, but you didn't have the perspective that your dad didn't see your life the same way you saw it. And right. all it took was for him to tell you that, for Huge. you to realize, oh, I don't even want to see it that way. I thought... I was just I, doing what I thought we I do. Thought, yeah, aren't we? Aren't we this? Aren't we gonna? We're gonna go. We're gonna steal a car, or some shit. What are yeah. we doing that? And he was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" No. I, yeah, because I think as parents, <laughs> we put so much like uh, weight and pressure on ourselves to be like, "Well," and you're always so scared of you know doing the wrong thing with your kid. But then it's I, it's so many times I hear something that just comes back to so simple as. You know, I, I have some friends that just go, yeah, and then I, I just told my dad I loved him, and he told me he loved me, and we just never really bonded <laughs> like that before. And you go, and that took 10 seconds, and that yeah. was a life-changing thing. Like, right. it, it, this trajectory of your life is so different simply by him just going, I'm going to tell you the truth in the next one minute. Well, also, I, I don't think he ever saw me as being tough. <laughs> Like, right. And compared yeah, yeah. to him, I wasn't. Like, right, I mean, right, right. this is a guy that did three years in Gino and had a rap sheet. I remember in college, a criminologist was like, you're a Jim Jolais kid, like, knew who my dad was. <laughs> oh my it was God. like The Wire. Like, his name rang out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's known. Right. He's known. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Being your dad yourself, taking all that, your your whole past with him and your whole relationship, do you does that create some kind of vision in you just seeing that your kid is three, you said? Yeah. Well I have a I have a daughter too. So I have a daughter who's seven months and my son's three and a half. 
Yeah, and that, just at that young age, knowing that you know they're still so young, and 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 when they are that young, you're still like, all right, I'm I'm the guy who's here, and I'm kind of fun, but you guys are like, yeah, we're we're on mom's team. We understand you work for the company, <laughs> right? Dad's like a barback, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and Dad's knowing, su- what you call support staff, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mom exactly. is the star of the show. No, knowing that 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 changes for me, it's just recently uh, changed. My daughter's five, and I think it's changed maybe around she was like four even definitely now I can definitely feel such a different perspective of who I am to her but yeah how does that inform you as 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 you move forward with with your kids I think the thing that really resonates with me is that my dad just took great joy in us and that that feels right to just yeah. take great joy in their existence that I you know I don't really have a lot invested in what they end up doing with their lives I hope they do something that makes them happy right and I, I hope that they come around and I hope that, you know, they're, they're going to want me in their lives. And I hope that they'll see me as a soft place um, for them. And even, even and there's and that expresses itself in different ways, even now. Like my son's three and a half, which three, they call it the terrible twos, but really the threes are the hard age. I agree a million percent. <laughs> they're going to test you and they know how to test yes. you and they're going to do it. Terrible twos makes no sense. Every, whoever said that, it's like <laughs> yeah. three is insane. Three is insane. <laughs> yes. And I hear that by four, things chill out. So I'm looking forward to that. But I had to, you know, so, um, I've had to really learn how to how to make that idea come to life in the sort of moments of deep defiance. Now I can't just get mad at him because he's he's he doesn't know. He's just sort of acting out of impulse. He doesn't want to have these big feelings and act out in the way he does. Yes. And so it's like, how do I be on his team? I be on his team by letting him know that he can get as mad as he wants and I'm going to stay kind of okay with it. I'm going to empathize yeah. with how he feels. And, you know, I think that's going to be true at different different points of his life. And the, sort of the, the lesson for me is I have to figure out how to, how to be that for him at different points in his life. And yeah. th- that is the, the guy that's on his team, you know, the guy that's on his side, the, the soft place for him to land, the person who's going to, you know, empathize with him and, and, and try to be someone who's supportive and, you know, and just likes having them around. You know, yeah. There's so yeah. many little jokes and, and you know, that the maintaining that feels feels right, like instinctually. And that's what my dad always did. He was great with that. He was really, really good with that stuff. That's what I think is the great thing to pass on is like, you know, you, you wanting your kid to look at you that with, with that admiration the same way that you looked at your dad and you knowing knowing that you you would take different things from it because obviously you're you're just naturally different people right right and and your son is is who he is and your daughter's who she is but knowing that being like all right yeah when when you look at me i i want you to see this or or be inspired by this or or come away with this i mean i have to assume it's already I, the, 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 what's so i this is what i love about being in the entertainment world is that I'm talking to you, and your child will have a life where they're like, "Oh, my dad? No, he's a rock star." Like that's yeah. <laughs> none of us have. Like, my dad worked at the post office. I don't yeah. look at him and be like, "Oh, my! Oh, my dad was in a band. My dad toured yeah. the world and wrote music." It's so, it's so interesting to me that that they have this perspective. Well, I think there's danger with that too, though, because you could be like, "My dad was a rock star, but he was so full of shit." You know? <laughs> You could just be full of shit. <laughs> well, that's going to get not. said no matter what. Well, yeah, there's no matter plenty what. of people that work at the post office that are full of shit. And <laughs> right. there's plenty yeah. of people that work at the post office that are. I, I just think these all these things exist on a different axis. And the axis is like, you know, are you not full of shit? Because kids know. They may not know yeah. when they're three, but by the time they're 18, they're going to know. Yeah. So, you know, got to spend a lot of time not being full of shit. Give them your best. And don't tell them lies about the world. And try to love them as much as you can. And know that you're going to fuck up and apologize when you do and not put too much on 
you know, I don't want them to ever feel too much pressure to have to deal with who I am in the world in any way. I think that's a great point. Your life is yours and theirs is theirs. And you're, yeah, I'm you're there be... supportively, but you don't go, hey, just because I did this or I'm this person right. doesn't mean that's what you're going to do. And you know, obviously your dad said that to you at Hollywood Park. He made that very right. clear. Just because I live this life, right. that's not yours. Mine is mine. Yeah, Exactly. And I don't want you to have to feel pressure to be part of it in any way. I've had my own struggles. You're going to have your own struggles. You have your own successes. And I just want you to be happy. And I want you to know, and I want us to hang out. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I want you to come around and I hope that we can be close and, you know, we can have jokes and enjoy each other's company. Like, a, what, who is it Maya Angelou said that, like, uh, you may not remember everything they did, but you remember how they made you feel, yeah. you know? And so you could be the greatest artist in the world. And if you make your kid feel like shit, that's what they're going to remember. Exactly. Ugh. Well, we always close with a Maya Angelou quote. So it's glad <laughs> yeah. that you, I'm glad you got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, man, I got to tell you, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. For not just coming on the show, but, you know, coming on the show and, and opening up and being so vulnerable about, you know, such a big, yeah. heavy topic. It, it oh, means man. a lot to us and our listeners, I know. You know, that's the perspective they that, that I look for. So I hope that's what they, they look for, too. Yeah, it's, thanks for having me. And you have such a positive outlook and towards your life. It could have been a totally different way for you. Oh, uh, well, you're catching me on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> That was great. Yeah, just him in general. Uh, very interesting guy, very vulnerable guy. Yeah. Mikel Jolet. Just to remind you guys, the, the book and the album is Hollywood Park. The band is Airborne Toxic Event. Um, so if you get a chance, check it out. Thank you for joining us once again for another enlightening discussion on Dad's The Podcast. Dads, the podcast is produced by Jen Samples, Nick Liao, and me, Ruthie Wyatt. Our executive producers are Joanna Solotaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Engineering by Will Becton and Anya Jeshik. Our theme song is by Strange Hotels, with additional music by John Danik. Special thanks to Sean Doherty. And as always, you guys can keep up with Dads the Podcast by following me on Twitter at Roy Scovel. And if you love the show, please do not be afraid to rate, review, and tell a friend. We need your validation, okay? So if you like it, tell everyone. If you hate it, tell the same amount of people to hate listen. Maybe they end up finding out they love it. Thanks so much, you guys. We'll see you back here next week. This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. mobilecom